This podcast is sponsored by Uncana, trusted natural solutions. Uncana is a leading voice of advocacy for CBD in the veteran LEO and federal communities. Veteran owned and operated, the Uncana team is actively fighting for DOD access to CBD with political pressure, community support, and a simple message. Hashtag OpNatural. Uncana is vertically integrated with industry leaders from seed to sell, supplying premium small batch products to America's best. Use code MENTORS4MIL the number four, M-I-L, at checkout at uncana.com to receive your amazing discount. Read the Mentors for Military disclaimer at mentorsformilitary.com slash disclaimer. for Military Podcast. I don't remember if you told me this, and maybe you did on the original episode, that you came out of um, Destin. In- I did. So, yeah, but see, Byron, we need to know, like, how did the poor trailer park kid <laughs> oh, end up I- in the Ranger Regiment? <laughs> So I, look, I mean, we want, aside we, from the, the hair, dirt. I am not I want a the, I want okay? the dirt. <laughs> I want the dirt on how you ended up in the Ranger. So it's it's kind of crazy. Um, what what happened was I was homeschooled uh, as a child, which explains a lot, I'm sure. Mm. Uh, my father was an officer in the military. I had an outstanding childhood. Uh, other than the fact that I was diagnosed with a very rare form and severe form of dyslexia and they and i wanted to be an army ranger and i wanted to be a special forces combat diver and i wanted to be all these things right you know the typical young buck that wants to go in the army is like what do you want to do all of it you know and uh i walked into a doctor's office and he said nope you're pretty much going to be at walmart saying hey (laughs) welcome to walmart and it's it's not going to happen they, yeah. they, they just told me, they said, let's be realistic. You're not going to be able to achieve those goals. That's a respectable job, by the way, Byron. It, it, absolutely. It sure is. <laughs> you know, they're, they're an equal opportunity uh, employer. Um, and obviously my, my company as well, they, they hire Rangers. Right. Um, so, <laughs> so, um, but uh, I, I joined um, the, sir, I was able, I finally, uh, my mom homeschooled me. I uh, was able to find a program that helped correct my dyslexia. Um, Shit, I didn't even know that. Ha- yeah, I didn't know that happened. Expressways to Learning um, was the program that I remember her using. Okay. Uh, not definitely not a plug or anything like that, but uh, I did. Uh, I, I did that, and I started to just plug away at achieving it, uh, achieving my goals, um, and slowly but surely. Uh, I would slowly achieve those things. Uh, of course, with no, um, without it had its own challenges, you know, um, being that homeschool kid. And uh, as I started to achieve it, you know, you know, I was kind of, you know, the, the quiet professional was it was our motto, but it did not reside with me at such a young age. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was constantly in trouble and getting smoked. Um, and uh, the typical ranger thing, and as I uh, obviously matured and I started to realize, hey, maybe I can help some of these guys out by not curbing their learning experience, by not doing some of the same mistakes, but also, 
you know, by understanding like the, like the SOCOM athlete guys that I work with, mm-hmm. um, Hey guys, you know, this is what it's going to take to, to achieve your goals. If you want to be a Navy SEAL, if you want to be an army ranger or SF, it's, it's not, it's about 10% physical fitness and the rest of it's all mental. It's all yes. psychological. Key point, Byron, is that if more people uh, grasp the fact that any sort of soft uh, enterprise is 90% mental and less physical, I mean, there's a physical expectation, but if everybody had that in their brains, it would be in a completely different game. And right. key point, that, that dyslexia is not, it's not a showstopper. Did you come in under the 11 series with an option 40 I- or... No, I didn't. So I, when I initially enlisted, I wanted to be in a room. There's a guy. Uh, he was a mentor of mine. Um, he's kind of a legend in the SF community that worked with my dad. Um, I won't mention his name because he's just type. That's the type of guy that he is. Uh, he would be mad. I'd get a phone call after <laughs> this airs. Gotcha. But uh, he said, uh, "What do you want to be?" And I said, "You know, I pointed out a picture, um, and he, it was a bunch of SF guys." I said, "I want to do that." And he said, uh, I said, okay, let's, you know, this is what, this is the track you need to go. And, uh, and he just kind of guided me and they didn't have a ranger contract at the time. So my first duty station was, uh, Korea. Um, and I got super, super lucky to get my very first leader was this stud, um, there. And he, um, uh, Daniels, staff sergeant Daniels was his name. And he mentored me, and I had a Valentine who was my platoon sergeant from Third Ranger Battalion. Oh my God, that name and, sounds familiar to me. Oh yeah, he's uh, he was in the eighties uh, and nineties. He was in Grenada, actually. Yeah, yeah. And um, and he told me all kinds of stories, and he was like, "We're going to get you there." He called Branch, and I left Korea and went straight to Rip, and then straight overseas, essentially right out of Rip. Um, and uh, to have fun for the next, you know, six years of my life um, in Ranger Regiment. And, uh, yeah, it was pretty pretty intense, pretty awesome stuff so that I was able to even get to where I was at. You had some great mentorship, which probably not everyone gets. But then again, I don't think everyone seeks it. But, you know, were you a, were you a rowdy kid, Byron? Were you, you know, I mean, by all – I was a mouthy kid. Hey, I was kind of a – well, that helps. I mean <laughs> – yeah, that's an indicator of some attitude, you know, right. You know, and, and that that was actually to be quite frank and honest is, you know, when I get a lot of questions, the guys and I'm sure you guys do as well, uh, that, you know, do you have any advice for for selection? Do you have any advice for rip or buds or anything that says, you know, don't be first, don't be last and don't spotlight, you know, don't be the loudest guy in the room. You know, they're not looking for that and just because you're loud and running your mouth that doesn't mean you're going to be the fastest or the best at anything just be do give it your 100 percent and and be consistent Mm -hmm. and and just don't quit just don't quit i had this the other day i did a video on ig and i was standing in the um uh everyone's asked me to cut off because i'm still learning the social media thing and i had a obesely overweight guy that was a guard that walked in with the money bags right he was so overweight that uh he had to hold his pistol belt with his pistol in his right hand and he had the bag of money in the other and i'm standing in line and uh, he says man i wish i could be jacked like you and i went i said excuse me i said what was that he goes i wish i could be fit like you and i said well you can be and he goes nah i've always been big boned 
And of course, this ensued a conversation <laughs> that that lasted almost an hour. And I had explained to him there's no such thing. And everything is cause and effect in that science is science is science. And if you work your butt off, you can achieve whatever goal that is, whether it's business, fitness, psychological. It's all the same thing. The heavier weight that you lift, the heavier mental weight you lift, the heavier the what, whatever it is, as long as you don't quit, the stronger you will become. And that's the, essentially the exact same thing that happens throughout. And you learn to master the basics. Mm-hmm. That's what special forces and special operations is all about, is if you can master those basics, you're, you will eventually become an expert. So with that in mind, now that you work with all kinds of aspiring athletes, Byron, what's your, uh, I'm curious, what's your take on, um, you know, there's always been a discussion on, well, Ranger couldn't make it through buds and seals can't do land nav and Marsock guys can't do whatever. And here's what I figured out. I think I told somebody recently and I'm always interested to get a, uh, a, a bad guy's take on it. I'm like, you know what? As I've gotten older and now I've worked with everybody, I have realized, I'm like, you know what? It doesn't matter. I guarantee if a guy is a stud at 275, he's going to make it at SEAL Team whatever. You know, if a, if a team guy on one of the teams is a decent dude, he's probably going to do he's probably gonna do just fine at one of the SF groups. So I've come to the conclusion, I'm like, they're all the exact same guys. It's whether or not you, you know, it's kind of like, whatever quality of life or where you want to live or how you're raised, you know, dad was in the Navy or whatever, but I don't find a whole lot of difference. Like you said, I guess going back to it's the mentality because I can go into a room of guys from whatever seven special forces group and have an immediate bond that I've never seen before, but I can and probably a better bond than someone I've hung out with in for five years. Cause I think it's all the same people. Absolutely. Now, I, think, I, I, I still think you're a long haired hippie, but <laughs> besides actually, that, actually he's, he's got a, He's got a good dude going on there and a nice groomed beard. So I'm a little yeah, jealous, actually. Yeah, I'm pretty jealous. Am I wrong? We're, it <laughs> no, seems like you're, you're spot on. I do, older, I do like, have to we're say, all the same. I, I have to say, and this is, and, and this isn't, this is gonna, I might get some flashback from some of my brothers, but as you already know, the water is the great equalizer. So, um, you know, unless you have a passion and you are a, a fish in the water and you don't panic underneath pressure underwater when your air is being taken away. I mean, I've watched a lot of good men uh, from some very special units. I had actually had two guys in my class and I watched them quit. And I was like, man, those dudes are like the most elite dudes in the United States military. And I just watched one of them quit. You know, like it's, it, you know, it, it's a, do I think physically they can make it uh, everybody can I, you're absolutely correct but i mean it's it, again just like the water is a mental thing and i don't know you, how many was the last time we saw a team guy on a 20 mile ruck yeah okay well yeah, yeah. Good, good point <laughs> it, Touché. good point hey there's been some there's some uh, been some brown stakes in the woods around fort benning that have been kryptonite for many a team guy yeah yeah i i yeah, most I'm definitely. just saying. Yeah, no, no, I think you're right. But I think when I was listening to when you were saying that, Byron, it's probably the same thing you just said before, that it's all a mental game. Now, yeah. you know, some guys, you know, when they go even in the soft community are afraid of heights, yet they jump out of airplanes. They may not go halo, right. you know, but they may be more comfortable in the water, whereas guys that are comfortable in the water uh, or not comfortable in the water might go into something else, you know. Right. Um, and, and, and you find that throughout the whole community. 
I think you find that throughout everybody. It's getting over the fear, I think is what we're talking about, and never quit attitude. Because right. the same advice I give out to guys is like, just never quit. That's the that's the main thing. The main advice I hear over and over from people is that if you go into it, put your mind right and go into it that you're not going to quit. They're going to have to kick you out of it. You know, uh, they just they I just heard something on a previous podcast. My my buddy um, that owns uh, Jason Sweet that owns the uh, SoCom Athlete stuff. He was talking on the podcast about that whole not quit, and he's talking about Halo School, and I'm sure you've heard the analogy as well. You know, when you're in Halo School and you're out in the desert out in Arizona and you've got the, the cactus out there and it's don't hit the cactus, don't hit the cactus, don't hit the cactus, and you're going to start like literally honing in on the cactus. <laughs> you're going to hit the cactus. All it is is land in the open desert. Just land, and you'll be okay. Because if you're like, don't quit, don't quit, don't quit, don't quit, that's what's going to happen. Yeah. You're you're hyper focused on something and you're going to end up going down that road like that you shouldn't go down. And then once that that mustard seed lands there, it, it can it can begin to fester. I mean, I remember my one of my ranger buddies every time sitting out on that basketball court on that hot tarmac doing push ups and flutter kicks and getting, you know, getting you know, thrashed and he looked at me and goes, You wanna quit? Nah. We'll quit at lunch, and then we get to lunch and we're getting thrashed again. He's like, "You want to quit? Nah, we'll get we'll quit at dinner." And then the day's over and it's time to go to bed. It's like, "Now nah, we'll quit tomorrow." And before long, and, and it was a joke. It became a joke. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I was like, "Or you first? We'll do it at lunch." Okay, all right. And you know, before long, you know, right? Like, meal to meal, you're just going meal to meal. That's yeah, that's right. So I mean, were you a uh, first cycle? I mean, are you went all the way through the Rangers, uh, the Ranger School, or was it that you had to recycle or anything at any point of it? No, it's it's funny because I went I I went to Ranger, uh, I went to R- uh, RAS, or I'm sorry, uh, pre Ranger, and I got injured. And my first sergeant basically walked over and says, "You're injured, and you're not allowed to come back until you have your tab." Do you understand me? And I was like, "Okay." So they put me in holdover. Uh, at pre-ranger but i had passed pre-ranger so i stayed there and then they sent me straight to ranger school and i went straight through ranger school never got recycled um luckily um and was was blessed to not have that happen (laughs) well i mean both you both you guys know of those individuals that's gone through the course had to recycle never gave up stayed with it you know got through it and end up going and spending a lot more time and a lot more effort than what was required. But right. yet, but it's that resilience, right? It's that never quit attitude that kept them in the game. Well, his tab looks the same as mine. Yes, exactly. Right. That's right. Hey, on that so. note, Byron, what, what's your thoughts on, you know, you're, you're shoulder to shoulder with guys that are coming from, from the regiment going through ranger school. It obviously probably has a, larger significance than you know the plethora of other people that are going through with you that aren't going back to to one of the battalions well here's something about ranger school that you know everyone gets angry and they've been super angry and i'm going to hit one of those those elephants or whatever oh, the, hit the nerves byron i'm going to hit some nerves you know they have women in ranger school Oh, and all that wasn't stuff. the nerve. I, I didn't I, I was Yeah, coming, that, I didn't ahead. either. Go ahead. Shout I, out. And it's, it, but the thing of it is, is that it's Ranger School is not a ninja school. 
It's not, I'm not going to ranger school to learn all this ninja cool stuff. You're learning skill level one tasks, skill level one and two tasks, you know, react to contact, raid, you know, all these little things. You're not there. You're there to learn leadership. You're there to learn how to now, now, unlike it was when I went through, but to lead men and women who are tired, wet, hungry, and do the right, hard right over the easy wrong in all conditions, whether it's in the swamp, whether it's in the mountains with a freaking heavy bag ass ruck, it doesn't matter. You're not there to learn hand to hand combat. Do you do stuff like that in the pit? Yeah, you do. You learn some basic stuff, but it's all about leadership. And that's what that's there for. It's, you know, and if, if someone has an issue with a woman going through it, if, a, if the standard, if the standards are not shifted and it is an equal thing, Roger, I'm all about it. And, and I know for a fact that I know plenty of women that have the physical capability to smoke my ass on a lot of things. I agree with you. I don't think I didn't. That's not where I expected you to go with that, but I totally agree with you. So um, to answer your right. question, everybody treats it like they treat, they treat it like a Jedi night school. Right. Exactly. And it, and it's not, it's not what it's there for. It's not, you know, your purpose from Ranger regiment to go there with the other guys from the 82nd or some X-ray Trek uh, tech that got reenlisted for the school, you know, I reenlisted for CDQC. You know, I, I wanted to go to the Special Forces Combat Dive School. They're like, what's the hardest thing that you could possibly do in the United States Army? CDQC. I want it. Do you want any bonus money? Nope. Mm-hmm. What? You know, like, I'd regret that decision now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, but at the same time, it's like the, the, the purpose of Ranger School is to put you in the most asher conditions so that you, when it comes time to be in that combat zone, when you're in the heat, you can go back to that time when it was really hard, when you had to pull security and you've been awake and you hadn't slept and you were hungry and the guy that was leading was a shithead and you didn't like him, (laughs) but you had to do the hard right because guess what? You're going to have to get graded in that position later and you don't want him to fall asleep on your patrol. Let let's let me just switch gears here. What if this sure. was the private sector that we were talking about? Let's take the military aspect out of this. You know, the long living testosterone and everything else, and let's bring <laughs> it down to, you know, the the private sector where you would want your bosses, if there were a school that was available out there, that they could send people to a leadership program. Now I know there's a a program at Harvard where some people go mm-hmm. and get their leadership certification that's considered the most elite, you know, and stuff that focuses on certain business elements but what if that was also uh, or if there was also a school and a certification whereby the best leaders are challenged in the most difficult situations that a business will face and trying to make sure profit you know is there you know um, bottom line results are made uh, those types of things to me That would be the type of school not only would I want to go to, but I would want every one of my leaders to be true, tried, and tested at. You're you're referring to one of Jocko's leadership seminars. Is that what you're talking about? No, I didn't even know about that. (laughs) (laughs) I'm kidding. I'm totally kidding. (laughs) Had to throw the seal in there. Go ahead. Come on. I'm totally kidding. 
you know, I would want those leaders out here in the private sector to go to those types of schools. I would want them to be tested in the most demanding types of programs because when push comes to shove and we're we're reaching the the most difficult part of whatever it is that we've been asked to do either by our shareholders or as a private company, I want to have the best leaders in place. Right. So if you, if you take the military aspect out of it, you just really think about your daily lives. You want to be surrounded by the best and the individuals who've been put in those types of tough situations. And I know that wasn't the focus of what we were going to talk about here on the show, but people argue, <laughs> people argue with you, Byron, that, that it's not a leadership program, that it's not a leadership school. Right. And, and they can, but I mean, that's exactly what it is. And, and I don't think there's a, any general officer that won't disagree with me on that because the whole reason... You're not going to see a single leader in Ranger Regiment that does not have his his Ranger tab. As a matter of fact, you will not be a leader in Ranger Regiment without your Ranger tab. And you can't go to any other school until you have your Ranger tab. Because your Ranger tab is a rite of passage that says, this man has proven himself to be a tried and true leader. Not to mention, in this day and age, the Rangers coming out of school have usually had one to three deployments prior to even going to ranger school. Mm. So they've already got quite a bit of experience underneath their belt before they ever attend. Well, and the ranger school that was back in the day is not the ranger school of today, primarily because of that reason right there. It's going to continue getting refined based on the mission set, based on, you know, the situations and all that. kind. But the the basic premise, the handbook is almost the same. Yes, sir, it is. Yeah. I'm not even sure you can be a leader of, of any substance in any infantry unit now with without a ranger tab that I've seen, at least for an officer. I have no idea. That's not my realm. Yeah. yeah. I mean, <laughs> educate, educate. career-wise, I mean, from what yeah. I've seen, you know, they, it's kind of the unspoken requirement now. I mean, the, the Army as a whole recognizes the, the value of the school, you know, aside from the requirements of being in the Ranger Regiment. But. Yeah, I think it's some of that washing down that's got, you know, maybe has some people ruffled in the whole bit. But again, I think it goes to matter what, no matter what school we're talking about here, insert X, you want you want the people that are going to be leading um, by example or those people that are going to be on the point, you want them to be the best qualified, period. If- That's exactly what Aaron does. I mean, Aaron Epstein, the president of GSMSG, I mean, he, he looks at their academic background, their what school did they go to, and, you know, as far as the doctors go. You know, that's the civilian side, exactly what you're talking yeah. about. And then, of course, why does he pick, you know, soft military guys for the medical and military training side for this exact reason yeah they've been in in the most difficult situations having to apply medicine at you know moments that other people would not even be able to comprehend absolutely and and, and they surround themselves at global surgical medical group with individuals from the soft community that can also provide security because most of them have been in multiple deployments understand you know how to properly secure an area keep it that way those types of things because they've had to deal with it a lot you know, yep. um, yeah, I, I think again, go ahead, Mike, you were going to say something. I was going to say, uh, so you're four years into your six year enlistment, right? You spent six years in the regiment, something like that. What was your, what was your catalyst? I mean, something started shaping you where you started thinking about, Hey, I want to do this when I get out or, or I want to get out because I've got something else on my mind that I want to accomplish. Otherwise well, you'd be a Sergeant major in the regiment somewhere now. Well, this that's an intro. I got out at 15 years, actually. Almost okay, sorry. Years. Somehow I 
heard six. No, no, I, I just did. Yeah, I, I spent almost uh, some change, and then I went to the uh, Silver Wings Freefall team for a while, um, and then um, went on to all of different places and doing different things in the Army, and then I just kind of got into the instruct pre-scuba um, position and started teaching pre-scuba for a while until I got out. Um, and I just kind of, the, and it's not really that glamorous. I mean, I, I was married at the time, marriage wasn't working. I was deployed. I had deployed a whole bunch and I would, I had gotten orders and I had an option. I said, I either reenlist indefinitely or, and I go until I retire or I get out. And if I had reenlisted, I was going to another unit to to deploy and I it just wasn't in me I didn't want to do it on that big army capacity um and it's and I had job opportunities outside of the military that I wanted to go and do and I experiences and things that I wanted to go and pursue on the outside it must have been a tough decision I mean you got 15 years and you're over the hump you've got five years left to a military retirement it was one of the toughest decisions I ever made in my life. I and then, yeah. And I was, and sometimes, and there's days that I have, I didn't, I, you know, I left and it was, it was pretty crazy because I left and I was like, I'm good. And yeah. everyone kept talking about that, you know, I guess this is a good segue to, you know, bring up the PTSD thing, you know, and you're like, I'm fine. Mm -hmm. I'm good. Mm -hmm. You know, like I'm, I'm strong. I got this, you know. I'm a freaking army ranger. I got my ranger tab. I got my dive bubble. I was on the, so I, I did all these crazy cool guy things, right? And then I started having these sleepless nights. Then I got a divorce. Then I didn't have my kids running around the house anymore. And this silence was killing me. I bought a grandfather clock to, uh, to, to, to make the silence not left and hearing the TikTok. And it wasn't working. And then I tried to kill myself. Uh, downed all these v unnecessary VA medications. And I had an 82nd Airborne guy sternal rubbing me on the beach, trying to wake me up and saw my bracelet, saw my face laying in a puddle of puke with pills that my body rejected, which is, you know, and uh, wanted to talk to me. And we talked for about three hours that morning and made him a promise, you know, and went, and went to the VA, started talking started realizing I had more issues than I thought, you know, because my, my exit strategy, my exit plan out of the military is, is, you know, you're supposed to have an A, B and C, right. And plan and a plan failed, B plan failed. And C plan was, was in chaos at that point. And I felt when air quotations trapped, I had nobody could else that I could understand. Nobody was going else, and 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 I got caught up in the social media and all my Ranger buddies are they're writing books about how great their life was and all the cool stuff that they were doing, or the, they're contracting and they're making all these big bucks. And here I am, divorced and fighting, and all I went from having a great credit score to having no credit score, you know. And I'm like, shit what do I do? And I'm like, and I, I, and then all of a sudden I started going to these VA appointments and I started going to these like little meetings and talking. I'm like, here, I'm sitting next to a guy with a Navy SEAL trident. And I'm sitting over here with a guy with a long, you know, long tab and I'm, we're all, and I'm like, damn, 
these are some pretty freaking solid dudes that have gone through a lot of the same stuff that I did, and they're dealing with a lot of the same things I've dealt with. Yeah. What a coward I was to try to quit. You know, I, I'm, I'm no different than anyone else. And, and oh, by the way, is it, are you less of a man if you cry? Only if you're a Navy SEAL. I have never been so lured in as instantly <laughs> as I, I had I had a break for that. intensity for a second. But you had me on a golden sinker. But, but it doesn't. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You it's it's doesn't make you less of a man for reaching out for help. And I did. I, I reached out, called Eric Guinness, the president of Rescue Twenty Two, and I said and I, I was in freaking tears. On the ver- and he knew it. He said, Byron, you're not going to believe this, man. I just started a nonprofit called Rescue 22. Because the guy at my office says, hey, Byron, this is what you need. Because I was in school at the time for working on becoming a nurse at the time. And I couldn't take certain meds because it would have impeded my ability to work. In the I- and I was working in the ER at the time. I said, you know... I can't take this stuff. What am I going to do? Um, and he, the doc says, well, you can do one of two things. He says, you can either take the service dog or lose your VA benefits. And I'm like, of wow. course, I immediately, I think I go, free dog? <laughs> Heck, yeah, this is the best deal ever. I've never, I was like, I just like jackpot, right? They give me a number. I, I, I take, take the, the card and I call them and I'm like, yeah, that'll be about anywhere between fifteen and thirty-two thousand dollars. You want this on? Is this cash or card? Wait, wait, what? You're char- You're gonna charge me when I got a prescription for something that I, I like. I don't got that kind of cash. Yeah. And uh, I called Eric because I knew he was a dog. Uh, he owns Coastline Canine, and I said, I don't know what to do. Do you have? And then that's when he was like, Byron, I got. I just started this nonprofit and I have a dog for you right now. I said, no way. He says, that's why I started it because you're not the only one with this problem. And, you know, so I, you know, two months later on May of 2000, I think 18, uh, I picked up Jaeger who's sitting right here, this dude over here. And, uh, you know, and the, and the journey began, but does it make me lesser of a dude that I have a companion do is it necessary for me to have a service dog 24 7 no not really did it help take off that edge of loneliness that i had in my house that i didn't feel like a crazy person talking to myself in my own home and i was talking to my dog you know yeah i'm probably still crazy but you know i'm just saying you know it it helped and doesn't make me lesser of a man yeah it doesn't make anyone lesser of a person to reach out for help whatever that be whether that be you needing medication, sleep meds, or something that you need. Whether you need to talk to a, a doctor or a friend, um, because you know, killing human beings, seeing your brothers and sisters get killed and shot. Um, there's <laughs> there's nothing else in this world. I mean, look at the people in this world that have the highest PTSD rate: nurses, first responders, right. police officers veterans of military service and combat arms it's all the same thing it's probably a story that plays itself over and over again all the time now me personally i'm going for an emotional stability chicken i'd like something a little bit different than a dog 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Flipper, wait, Flipper's not in this. Yeah, I'm looking for like a chicken or a pot-bellied pig. Or I guess something. you don't have enough. You, <laughs> you don't have with a little. You are in Indiana, so that makes I sense. I live in Indiana. Nobody's yeah. gonna blink an eye at that, sir. You get... can't bring that chicken on the aircraft. <laughs> it's my emotional support chicken guy. Get out of here. My support chicken. <laughs> the Rangers got a dog. Why can't I have a chicken? Wait. I mean, it, that would be appropriate for a Navy SEAL. <laughs> Wait, it's got a trident on it. What are you talking about? He's going in my book. He's going right on the cover. <laughs> anyway, no. I totally feel your pain, Byron, and uh, that of of everything you've talked about so far. That that points probably as a benchmark of of the interview. As far as I can say, I mean, if you you can get that point. It's probably going to help a lot of people. And that and that's kind of what I I you know my purpose of these things is you know. I found my tribe again. You know, I was always looking for that thing. That's the biggest thing. We talked about that in the last, the last podcast, you know, you know, I'm not, I'm definitely nobody special and, and I'm sure you have some of the same struggles yourself in some way, shape, form or capacity. We all have, whether you're in the 82nd airborne and you were a truck driver driving around in the streets of Iraq during the invasion, mm-hmm. or whether you were a Delta force operator and did 20 years in Delta Force, or an Army Ranger who who deployed with Third Ranger Battalion, it, you're go- it's all the same thing. Just like fitness, if you got to lose, how do you lose weight? It's the same thing. There's no such thing as big boned. How do you become more educated? You read more. You go to school. You go to that. Do that education. How do you pass a test? You study. If you don't do those things, you won't accomplish those things. They don't do. Some things come easier for other people. Well, of course. You know, of course they do. Yeah. Well, some people don't have to overcome dyslexia to be in the military. Exactly. I mean, which is a decent point. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, you even find it out here with people who are civilians has never served within the military in some other type of post-traumatic stress or at least with depression, severe depression. And people are living with those types of things and struggling with it. And, you know, I've, I've heard very many, uh, quite a few military guys that goes, hey, listen, it doesn't really matter. It's the same. The story might be different, but what you are feeling, what you're going through and everything, it's very much the same. And yep. at some point, you know, we're going to get a better handle on this and it's not going to be opioids. And certainly no. canines are a tremendous asset. I mean, they're giving you unconditional love, not to mention they can be trained to spot some of the, the you know, symptoms or some of the things that's going on within you that, you know, hey, I need to give my master some attention. And, you know, and it gives you a sense of purpose as well. You have a reason to get up. You have a, you know, somebody that needs that's you and exactly. cares for you. Yeah. Yep. Huge. And huge. I, yeah, I know somebody that uh, recently um, received a canine here within the last year, and, and I can already see how much it's made a huge difference in his life. And uh, I, I mean, yeah, I can't say enough for those guys. So you do something with them now, right? Yeah. So I was the first veteran to receive a service animal through Rescue 22 Foundation. Okay. Uh, John Devine, who owns Divine Canine, he's a Navy SEAL. And Eric Innes, who is an Army Ranger and Third Ranger Battalion, has a canine handler. Both canine handlers, Dom Russo and uh, oh my, Jack Carr, are now spokesmen for um, and affiliates for Rescue 22. Uh, they'll be uh, uh, pimping out uh, Rescue 22 at Shaw Show, um, as well as we will be all there with our dogs. Um, and Eric trains these dogs, gets these dogs placed. Right now, we have a dog getting ready to go to a um, 
uh, a completely paralyzed young man uh, named Max, uh, and they've been working with him. It's been a long the the struggle to get that canine to do what we needed to do for that young man has been uh, quite the challenge. But we are they're they're not quitting and they are getting it and they're doing some cutting edge stuff with these dogs that actually provide them. And I mean, I've seen veterans and I have had veteran after veteran call me asking me how they can get this service and literally it's just go to the rescue 22 foundation website, um, go to their Instagram, reach out to I or Eric. Um, and he, we train them up, get them good to go and get you a sense of purpose, a companion, whatever the necessity is, um, that you need the dog to do. We can make it, we can make that happen. The sense of service is something that's important. I mean, you found it through these foundations and the roles that you're playing and giving back to the community that, you know, you care about deeply and stuff. But I mean, fast forward or rewind, I should say, to 2018, Hurricane Michael hits. And as I understand it, you were one of the first people on the scene there trying to to help out people. (laughs) I I was. Yeah. And I mean, that hit and devastated. If People have not gone down and vacation in Destin, Florida, and along the Panhandle well, there. How beautiful it is! Destin didn't get us cracked, right? But uh, I mean, it, it was Panama City that actually was flattened, right? And uh, it was actually through the Ranger community that everyone knew I was right there. And there was a young man who had autism, and they couldn't get in contact with him. And I essentially got a a, a ten digit grid, and they said go. <laughs> And I had a cop that was like, you're not going to find anything. There's no street addresses. And I'm like, I'll find them. Don't worry. And he's like, there's no lights. It's past curfew. And I'm like, I'm getting through, let me through. And we rolled out. And uh, sure enough, you know, at the ass crack of dawn, I, I found this kid in an adjacent house. His house had been demolished. And we started handing out water. And then it just started walking it and came back the next day after I had a no sleep and started cutting paths for people to get out and started cutting people out of their attics. And it was pretty intense. Yeah. And that's where Aaron Epstein, as I understand it, found you for coming to yeah. Global Surgical uh, Medical I Group. Was, yeah. I had already started to get ready to go on a trip. Um, and I was able to orchestrate uh, several million dollars worth of aid. Um, and uh, a young lady by the name of uh, Brittany Gaynor was a huge contributor to that. Um, and she was dispatching me to homes and addresses and going all of these places. And we were dropping, we got, ended up getting air assets to be able to see who needed more help. And we were, we started crushing it and then it just kind of went from there. Yeah. No, I mean, your, your training kicked in. It sounds like it. I mean, it you know, calling air support and the whole bit, you know, and surprise. <laughs> so so um, you talked already, or we've talked a little bit about Global Surgical Medical Group and Rescue 22, but you're also um, leading some other organizations as well? Uh, well, I, I do. I work with, um, I mean, I have my own company, and then I, really that's honestly it. I work with Coastline Canine. Coastline Canine and Rescue 22 are kind of, uh, they, they, they kind of work together, the, the canine. He also does family protection dogs. Yeah. Um, and then I have my I own a bulk ammunition uh, factory here in the in the Panhandle. It's a name called Ballistic Theory, and that's where you can go to the website and you can learn more about what kind of stuff that Product, you sell, yeah. the, yeah, products and stuff. Yeah, 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 we sell we sell that, and we also have a range out here that we encourage veterans to come out and 
get um, get training and get back into the game and enjoy it and the feel of it and work with other guys like themselves. And we're working on programs, starting programs now for uh, veteran outreach. I need to come down and see you. When I get down there to 7 Special Forces Group, I'm going to go down there and, and visit those guys. I'll hook you up. And we'll have to... ten, 10 minutes away, and I, I work with all of them just about every day. Yeah, we'll have to make, <laughs> I'll have to make sure that I, I definitely get in contact with you when I'm in the area. I you grew bet. up, I think I told you, I grew up right down the road in Milton. So, yes, sir. Yeah. You know the area, don't you, Mike? Oh, do I? I, oh, yeah. I have my many, 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 many friends. Yeah. I spent a lot of time in Pensacola and Destin and all that down there. Yeah. I mean. At, at Army or for the Navy? That's where I got my start. That's my fondest memories of being like 19 or 18 or whatever in Pensacola. <laughs> yeah. As an E3, you know. Uh, on Memorial Day weekend? Yeah, I don't know. Sometimes. <laughs> this is like 33 years ago, Byron, you know, so. <laughs> Oh, okay. It's bad. That's it was before it got bad. Yeah. <laughs> Byron, I, I appreciate you coming on and talking about some of this because I think, you know, like Mike said, the most important aspect of what you talked about was the post traumatic stress aspect and uh, it's a story that I, I don't think enough people really understand or those who are going through it are not getting the proper help and assistance because they think they can deal with it on their own. And you know all too well that's not always the best solution. So right. it, you know, get help, um, reach out to somebody, you know, there's a reason why there are patterns of things that have been occurring. You know, it's going right. to, they seem to be in this, if you start reaching out to somebody, they're in every individual that's going through some of the same struggles. And, and it, it's not job specific and it's not, I mean, you look at guys like Mike and you got guys like Dom Russo and you got guys like Jack Carr and, these are all uber, uber elite guys. And all these guys, there's, it's repetitive. It's, it's, everyone's dealing with the same things. And it yeah. doesn't make you a lesser of a person to go and say, hey, I need to talk about these things. Find an outlet. Get plugged in. Don't sit at home and dwell in that, in that dark space. Be active. You're, you could be an AC-130 gunner or a crew chief and have PTSD. You could be... I mean, an administrative clerk who is sitting on a fob and you are, quote unquote, air quotations again, a fob it and the hooch next to you got wasted and you're all your friends were in there and they died. You know, it, you, it's not it's not you don't have to be these things, you know, elite things to have these issues. I, I used to think that you had to be at the forefront, tip of the spear, all that. And then I just realized that really it's personnel dependent and it's. Everybody just has a different threshold, right? That's what it is. Everybody's everybody's got to do what what stresses you out may not do it to me, and and different for Robert or whoever. But you know, like you said, and it's not flashbacks. No, well, some it's not, not like the, it's not like the movies. They're actually right. starting to to find from a science standpoint that there may be actually um, things within an early childhood that it may be triggered later on by these events that you're seeing or that you dealt with or something, but there was a trigger point or something that occurred a trauma that occurred very early on in your life. And right. um, so they may even start doing uh, within the military, especially within the soft community. I wouldn't be surprised for them to start taking some kind of test um, to, to see what that might be or what the struggles might've been that that individual may have gone through in their early in their life that could potentially, you know, come up later on if there's another trigger and in, in my uh in my junior year of college i did a um 
a project on PTSD and um, the premise of it was the fact that PTSD comes in many, many different forms, obviously. And you, PTSD comes from combat veterans, which everyone associates it with combat veterans. And they have this image of guys like freaking out, thinking they're back on the streets of Afghanistan or Iraq. And that's how it is. You know, example, me, mine's sleep. I have a sleep tear, can't go back to sleep. Now I've had one hour of sleep. And that goes on for two, three, four days. Now I look like, you know, I haven't slept in three, four days because I haven't. And then you start to kind of get nutty, right? And it, it's lack of sleep. For others, it could be just that constantly being in that space and not being able to concentrate on your task at hand because you keep thinking about, well, I could have, why wasn't that me? Well, I could, I could have saved my buddy. You know, what, what about that? And that's also something that's happened to me on, on occasion, not as much as the sleep thing. But then you have people who were in a terrible car accident and they hear screeching tires and, they, oh, they, and they, they cringe up and, oh man, or the girl who you are in the office and you tap her on her shoulder to, to get to the printer and she jumps and it's because the girl was raped as a child, you know, or, or a young lady. That's all PTSD. Mm-hmm. Different circumstances, same psychological impact. Yep. Yep. And I think it's misdiagnosed so many times because of things like, as you dealt with, you know, the VA asks one stupid question like, do loud noises make you jump? Well, you know what? Maybe they don't. They're like, <laughs> okay, you're good. No, you're good. You know? Yeah. Like a, a very single scope <laughs> diagnostic when, uh, you know, reality. And you brought up the sleep thing, Byron, which, um, as I've found, um, is a bigger issue than than anybody ever realizes, um, particularly guys that are in units that have always operated nocturnally. You know, like I said, you're 15, 15 years in a regiment, you're you're living on Ambien, or you're on a nocturnal schedule. When you're overseas, you come home and you get, you know, whatever, two weeks to get normal, and then you're back on a, a rip cycle or something like that. And and so maybe you didn't have any trauma that happened during that period necessarily, but that's pretty traumatic in itself for that duration of time to have just screwed with your sleep cycle as, as oh, we're yeah. finding out now. Yeah. Buds rip. You get PTSD from those events just alone. Ranger school, uh, seer school. Heck I can tell you right now. Mm-mm. That's a, you know, <laughs> so I, you know, we, we all tolerate it for a finite amount of time, but like you said, once you get out, then you start living normally. Um, as we've had discussions with my family, I'm like, Holy cow, that was totally screwed up. How many years? I took Ambien for 15 years, you know, like, no wonder I have a hard time sleeping, you know, but you don't think about it till you get out and you start living somewhat normal life. Right. Well, I like what you've done though. And in, in not only just giving back and, and, but you also found a different purpose. So you went back to school, you found a job that you felt like you could do something, which of course, by the way, is very service oriented when you're a registered nurse. Right. Yeah. And then you tied that back into a nonprofit. I'm not know? a registered nurse. Okay. I, I went to school. I started and I just kind of, I, I moved away from that just because I got so involved with, I, I did end up finishing my degree, but I, I, I ended up finding more purpose and a need for uh, working with GSMSG and on the medic side of things and teaching tactics uh, on how to save your buddy's life, the TCCC algorithm to our allied forces and also uh, these uh, fine uh, animals right now (laughs) as he's sniffing his butt next to me. Um, (laughs) Um and, and giving back in that sense, 
Yeah. No, and, and it shows because you've done a really good I job. Appreciate it. <clears throat> no, I, I appreciate what you've done uh, because I, I think there are a lot more people who are looking for what is their why, what is their passion, probably need to, to search introspectively and see maybe is, if, is it finding a new tribe? Is it getting back into the fold in some way within the military, whether it's, you know, your branch of service or it's branch insignificant. It's just getting back around people that are engaged in like-minded things, whatever. It could be Spartan races. It could be Ironman competitions, whatever your, you know, your, uh, your thing is that you would enjoy doing, but you're back with a group of people that are very like-minded. I think it's going to help you. And especially if you're service oriented in some ways, um so hats off to you i appreciate it what was your that's a good question what was your why mike what what was your you know for all those kids out there that are always asking you know that's the best i think that's one of the biggest things that to get you through you have your why has to be bigger than your than everything else uh, to, I mean, I, to accomplish what you've accomplished. I, I was actually really heartened to to hear your explanation of just don't quit. I mean, I, I don't think I've ever had anything different for anybody. Several techniques where I have just said, hey, listen, kid, you just got to decide whether or not you want it and just decide that there is no other option. You know, anytime you give yourself a lifeboat, as I refer to it as like, well, if I don't make it through ranger school, anytime that ever crosses your lips, you you have already screwed yourself because when it gets hard you know like you said when you're on that third or fourth day of not sleeping and you're hungry um, when your fight or flight kicks in you are you are subconsciously going to go to the path of least resistance and there's not a thing you can do about it yeah um, <laughs> you know i mean it doesn't matter what program you're in but when it gets sucky if you've already given yourself that little relief valve that you subconsciously know you can go to um mm -hmm. you, you've already you've already defeated yourself um, right so I guess that just ties into that you're absolutely right. It's 90% mental. How you prepare for it, it's kind of up to you. There's there's as many techniques as a day is long, but it's it's all mental. And that goes for anything challenging or difficult. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And to your point, Mike, you did that over and over again with Ali Sills, <laughs> but you did 160th and, you know, all, all the different schooling and stuff that you went through after over and meal over. To, meal to meal. Byron's got it. Yeah. Meal to meal, man. I'll yeah. quit at lunch. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to plagiarize that at some time, but I'll credit you, Byron. I will wait till lunch to quit. <laughs> <laughs> or we'll, we'll just quit after dinner. Yeah. Next, yeah, yeah. next time uh, you got to bring your chicken to the show, though. We got to see that with his patches on. <laughs> I will. That's inspired me. <laughs> That's funny. That will, that will not. That will not make me a social media darling. I don't think with my stability chicken. Yeah, you de yeah, definitely have to post that. Yeah, we we have to see it now with the vest. It's Indiana. It's Indiana. <laughs> <laughs> Get away with that here, Byron. I'll make sure I look you up when I come down to that area down there in the Panhandle, and uh, we'll you definitely bet, have buddy. to get to ha together and have a cup of coffee or do something. For Absolutely, sure. for sure. Yes, sir. Hey, Byron. Thanks a lot, man. It was good talking to you. Dude, yes, sir.